The following podcast is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and frank sexual content. This is the Heart of Jack's Podcast. Two days of heaven behind me And five days of waiting ahead Days to anticipate Days while my heart must wait Cause here it is, Monday again Welcome to Fourth Monday, a monthly change of pace for the Heart of Jack's podcast. Essentially, it's a framework for me taking a couple of days off to nap or just focus on other things, catching up on housework, taking a shower, you know, leisure activities. This won't take long, and I've cobbled together a sort of format to loosely hang around these shows. A few things are different about Fourth Mondays. Here's what you will not get. First, no guests, no interviews. It's just me. That alone cuts off about two days of work from every episode, not including interviews themselves. Second, no sponsors or ads. I may talk about ads, uh, about the way I'm currently approaching them, and I'm almost certainly going to mention Patreon, but I'm not making ads for these shows. Everybody's going to get the same content. So if you're a public listener anywhere in the world or a $5 patron, you will get the same ad-free content that the $15 and $30 Patreon patrons get just this one week of every month, okay? Third, you get slightly more raw content. I don't mean like raw as in, you know, sexy. I mean raw, live. I don't edit Fourth Monday shows like I do all the rest, so you might hear me actually breathing. If my dog starts barking or the adorable six-year-old little girl next door launches into her daily screaming practice, which I have to tell you is pretty impressive, or if a stiff breeze smashes my wind chimes against the house right outside my office window, which is where they live, I'm leaving it in. Same goes for mispronunciation and my occasional glossolalia. I think I already had some of that. These shows are going to be more live. Okay, here is what you will get. First, feedback. Your comments, which you send me through Patreon, email, Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, I'm going to share some of those. I'm going to use first names only, or in the case of Apple Podcasts, um, incomprehensible account names. But there's good stuff bouncing back to me from you because of all this content I'm perpetrating on the planet. And I want to hear more from you. So I'm going to read some of the feedback, and you will hear that it's not such a big deal to reach out and let me know what you're thinking. Second, shoutouts. I have new patrons every month, and they, plus others in many different ways, are actively supporting the existence of this podcast. So I'm going to credit a few of them, of you. Again, first names only. If you are a supporter and you'd like listeners to know about something you're doing, maybe share an Instagram handle or a web address, let me know. You're helping me with this thing a lot, and mentioning your thing to the audience is the least I can do. Third, book report. There is a sort of secret part of the Heart of Jack's project, which is a book that I'm writing on the history and culture of Jackoff Clubs. Okay, it's not a secret. I decided a little while ago that I was not going to discuss the book at all because, as Robert Bly warned, 
do not give away your fire too soon. I was depleting my personal resources and generating just a lot of angst for myself, trying to let you inside the process of writing this book, like updates every week, and that had to stop. Now, I think it's appropriate to talk about it a little, so I'm going to give a brief report about my book. I plan to do that with a light touch, not giving away my fire and exposing myself, but this is a live project, and I can let you in on it a little. Fourth, previews of upcoming interviews. I do actually plan shows out in advance, and I thought it would be fun to give you a peek ahead. So that's happening. Fifth, I don't know, other stuff. We'll see. This is all so new and exciting. Okay, more than enough exposition. Here is Fourth Monday. response to episode four, uh, which was called Call and Response, it was my only call-in episode to date, Keeley writes via Patreon, I gather that trans men are welcome at the clubs. Can you say a bit more about how that decision was made? Is it different between clubs? For how long has this been an issue? Is this new or is it something that has been discussed within the context even when trans people were not visible to the wider world? So Keeley, that's a lot of questions. It's pretty new. Um, I made a unilateral decision to remove language from the Rain City Jacks website that used to require that guys be, quote, biologically male, close quote. We now only require male identification. As far as I know, RCJ is the only club that does this, but I don't really know how other clubs do it or don't accommodate trans men right now. In many ways, what you imply is correct. Trans people and their concerns are more visible now than they were 15 years or even five years ago. So a lot of people, me included, have a lot more to learn. I decided to make the change because trans people have become a bigger part of my personal life since the days that I started the Jacks. And one particular guy, a trans man who I consider a friend, took me to task some years ago. We had an extended email discussion on the topic. And I just saw that my vision had been overly limited. I saw that it was discriminatory to deny access to a guy who doesn't have a penis. So I discussed it with the club's board of directors. And then I just took that language out of the website and the member application. That happened around 2010. And soon after that, I had the opportunity to put it into practice when a trans man emailed me and asked if he could join the Jacks. I told him he was welcome. We had a little back and forth, and then he did indeed show up for one event. He kept his underwear on, and he wore a prosthetic penis, so he wasn't exactly out as a trans man, but he did show up, and he was welcome. Now, I'm aware of four trans people having joined the Jacks in total, and three of them uh, only attended once, while another has been a more regular member. For all I know, there's been more than that. And I'll be honest, this is still new territory for jackoff clubs. What I can say to my fellow jackoff club leaders, you guys, is simply this. If you welcome trans men, it'll be okay. The underlying rules still apply. It's still men only. Nothing goes inside anybody's anything. Treat each other with respect and no lips below the hips, right? 
Just as some of our members are into bigger, smaller, older, younger, hairier, smoother, whatever kinds of guys, the same goes for guys with clits. The majority of us are going to connect with each other through friendly, fun, hands-on sex, and remarkably or not, nothing bad happens. Now, I'm a cisgender gay white guy myself, and at 62 years of age, I'm sure I have a lot more to learn. So if you are trans and you have questions, or if you want to join my jack-off club, or if you have some feedback for me, please reach out. Rain City Jacks is a jack-off club, and it is limited to men. That said, we no longer presume to define what a man is. So if you are a man and you want to participate in our group masturbation gatherings, you're welcome, with or without a penis. Episode 12 was the show I did with Dr. Sprankle, which specifically addressed shame and sexual shame. I got a lot of feedback from that one. Listener Chris emailed me this comment. I'm probably shameless in the same sense you use it, but I keep thinking that the cultural absence of shame in other domains would be bad. Like when people walk maskless into a grocery store, I want them to feel shame, specifically not guilt, because if they just feel guilty, they will do it again later. I hope they feel shame and shamed in order to question the fundamental worldviews by which they believe it is okay to endanger the lives of others. Similarly, as I think about my role as a parent, I want to instill in both my kids the notion that sexuality is wonderful, and if you mishandle it, can really wreak damage on yourself and others. Certainly not shame, but a sense of caution and brightness that might be internalized as shame, so I still have some unpacking to do with this concept. So, Chris, I've been chewing on this too. In my conversation with Dr. Sprankle, we were pretty much defining shame as a self-referential belief that one is bad, as opposed to having done something bad. That would be guilt. There was a news clip that came out right around the time that that podcast did, where one congressman referred to other congresspeople using the term, have you no shame? We've also seen footage of protesters yelling, shame, 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 at some public figure who committed one reprehensible act or another. There are too many to count, really. Frankly, I think there's more to unpack here myself. I think it makes sense that a psychologist would be thinking of shame in the self-referential sense, while a sociologist might have a different perspective, particularly since this kind of thing is commonly referred to as social shaming or moral shaming, right? This is just my personal take, so don't at me. But I see this kind of thing in the same vein as prayer, something that we imagine affects others or should affect others, but is primarily for the one taking the action. So just as prayers are for those who pray, shaming is for those who shame. It's trying to change others by sheer force of will, by wishing something on another person. From what I see and what's been written about the ineffectiveness of shaming, and there's lots of that out there, the main response we seem to see when we shame someone is that they dig in their heels and harden their position. Now, I understand the desire to get thoughtless, irresponsible people to see the harm they're doing, to wake up and connect with that reality, but I don't know what can really be done about it. I do think that impulse to shame harmful actions is completely understandable and even reasonable. I just don't know what the most effective response to bad actors is. 
I wish I did. Okay, maybe that's an unsatisfying answer. Whatever. The most frequent feedback I get is that episodes feel short and people are surprised when they're over. Now, I'm taking that as a compliment. I did see one comment about my interview with Tyler the Bad Wolf in episode eight, in which Tim, a Patreon supporter, said this. I don't know if all your podcasts should be this long, but this one was worth it. That show was just over an hour, and I felt like it was about as long as any of the shows should go. So I'm just going to keep on chugging, I think, and try not to worry about the precise length of any of the episodes. Some will be longer, some will be shorter. And if you want more, let me know. Thank you sincerely to everyone out there sending in feedback. If you ever have input on anything that you hear on the podcast, I'm really honored to hear from you. You can email me at podcast at theheartofjacks.com or leave a message at 206-580-3120. You can also tweet at me at the Heart of Jacks, or you can leave a comment in Patreon. That address is, of course, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash theheartofjacks. It all reaches me, so however you bring it, bring it. Here's what's going on with my book, The Heart of Jacks, The History and Culture of Jackoff Clubs. For those of you who are new to the podcast, here's what that's all about. I run a jackoff club in Seattle. Seattle is a city in the Pacific Northwest region of the contiguous 48 states of the USA. That's for my international listeners. Uh, the Jacks, my club, is modeled on a tradition of group jackoff clubs that were first formed, formally formed, by New York Jacks in February of 1980. My club was just one of many that has sprung up since then. I started Rain City Jacks in 2005, and in the course of corresponding with members, curious folks, whoever sent me an email asking questions, I found in myself a deeper fascination with not only the activities of group masturbation, which I unreservedly love, but with the social dynamics and the cultural history of the phenomenon itself. I know that sounds weird, but it's absolutely true. Um, within a couple of events, I started to notice that guys were just being friendly with each other in a way that was extra. It wasn't just sexual. It was something I recognized as community. These guys were getting to know each other, getting close to each other as friends. It was just very specifically friendly and communal. So I started digging, and I saw that there was really a cool story in there. The story of Jackoff Clubs, as I've collected it, is largely a folk history. It's called from small stories, individual stories told directly to me by men who were mostly in their 30s in the 1970s and 1980s. You can do the math. They're not young right now. All recounting experiences and decisions from 40 years ago, which was the time I have mostly focused on, since all Jackoff Clubs that I've found are modeled on the New York Jacks of 1980 or on another club that's modeled after New York Jacks. Either way, New York is the originator, and everyone else is part of a tradition that they started. People's personal histories change over time. Some memories are sharper and clearer than others. Think of the minority of men who were gay in New York in 1980. Okay, 
a fraction of the population. A small fraction of that fraction were guys who went to the Jacks. And of that sub-sub-sub-segment of men, maybe one or two were actively keeping exhaustive journals, right? Physical memoirs of the time. There is some of that, some material trace of the original Jacks clubs, but the real story is in the recollections of the men who formed those groups in the first place and went to them in the days before gay people could marry, could serve in the military, could have sex in private legally, could take one pill a day to prevent or survive an HIV infection. Very, very different times. And the challenge that I see in telling those stories, that one big story that emerges from all the individual stories put together, is to be faithful to that different time and not Flintstoneize it. Since 2011, for 10 years so far, I've been taking progressive steps toward writing the book on the Jacks. I've visited clubs around the continent and one in London over a period of years. Oh, how I wish I could go to more. And I met and interviewed the guys running those clubs, as well as the men who started them in the first place. And even the guys who were at that first party at Jay's in February of 1980. I can tell you, Many of those guys who are still here 41 years later, they have fond, crystallized memories of Jays and what they had that year and a half before AIDS showed up. To a man, they love sharing their stories, which is great for me as the guy who's gathering them, right? I feel a kinship to these men, these elders, like virtually every instance where we feel attraction, sexual attraction, connection follows. As people first motivated by a desire for a particular sexual pleasure on the fringes of the fringe, we spontaneously formed community. Now, that's a dynamic that I recognize as simply human. A startling number of these men consider the best friends that they have now, today, to be men that they met first at jack-off clubs, like 30 and 40 years ago, right? Also lovers and life partners. It really has propelled my work on the book because it's such a powerful positive thing in these men's lives and in my own. So over several trips to New York, um, LA, San Francisco, Portland, Philadelphia, Atlanta, London, and other cities that are probably best left unnamed, I collected hours and hours and fucking hours of interviews, conversations with men who masturbate with other men. Now you might think that I had a lot of penis play along the way, and you'd be right about that. It's also true that while I love sex, I am not obsessive or compulsive about it. I just have a default yes response. And after I'm satisfied, I move on to other parts of my life until I'm horny again. And sometimes that doesn't happen for a day or two. I'm not repressed. So I'm not driven by dissatisfaction or distracted by unmet needs. Yes, I have experienced jack-off clubs all over, but the research is about the history and culture story, not so much about the sex. I don't avoid it, but like any relationship that starts with sexual attraction and maintains it, sex is the spark that brings connection, and relationship is what comes from that. It's just that a group is more likely to form a community relationship rather than a pair bond, although pair bonds happen too. The bulk of the work over the last couple of years has been transcription. It's unsexy, but it has to be done. I am personally very, very slow at transcription. So I recently employed the help of a transcriber to help me plow through the hours of recordings and set them in type because I was just going too slow. 
I'm now about two-thirds of the way through them all. It's a lot. The help that I'm now getting is moving the whole project much, much faster. So I'm now excited again. I wasn't for a while because uh, transcriptions are a slog. So I don't know how long it will take to complete these transcriptions. And I am so wary in the extreme of projecting when I might be finished. But I do have some parts of the book more or less written. I say more or less because history clarifies the understanding of culture that evolves from those events. Does that make sense? Yes, of course it does. It sounds a little complex, but it's really not. It's not overwhelming. It's just a lot. And I'm working on it every day, a little at a time, as a part-time project. For me to do it full-time, that would require a more traditional patronage model that doesn't really exist anymore. That's when a really rich person actually pays all the bills and living expenses of an artist for months while he creates the work that they could then gain prestige from by identifying with the work. I haven't yet found a very wealthy person who wants their name associated with a history of jack-off clubs. I don't know why. It certainly seems prestigious to me. So what's going on with the book is transcription of recorded interviews. There are a few more months to go on this, and then I'll be reviewing all those transcripts, every one of them, and gleaning the big story from them. I already have that story in my head. I already know how it goes. But I'm just one tiny part of the story of the Jacks. And what I'm working toward is a collective story in the words of the men who lived it from the beginning. I think it'll be worth the wait. More on the book next month. Here now is a preview of some future shows that I'm working on now. James is a member of Rain City Jacks, and in some ways, he's not typical. He was 24 when he joined the club five years ago. The average age of my members is around 43. And while the Jacks has always included members in their 20s, they are in the minority at the Jacks because, simply, in my humble opinion, when a guy gets to be in his 30s and 40s and 50s, he becomes progressively less concerned about what his sexual connections mean about him and how it might look to his peers. At least, that's my expert analysis of the demographics of most jack-off clubs. Young James tells his story of the Jacks and about meeting his current partner there in an upcoming episode. Daniel McLaughlin is well known to Seattle's kink community. And in addition to being a skilled bondage performer, photographer, pornographer, sex educator, and sex-positive community organizer, Daniel is an erotic hypnotist. And that is the tender territory we press into in our conversation. Daniel McLaughlin and I discuss the place of erotic hypnosis in the world of kink. Brian McNaught has been a pioneering educator on LGBTQ issues since he was fired by the Catholic Church in 1974, for being gay. He's the author of 11 books, including On Being Gay, Gay Issues in the Workplace, and Sex Camp. He's a columnist, has hosted radio and television programs in Provincetown, and has spoken to corporate senior executives around the world, including receiving a lengthy standing ovation from the NSA. Yes, that NSA. Brian was a fantastic guest. And our interview centered largely on the issue of senior gay men and the need for ongoing sexual vitality in aging populations. It was, I think, the start of a broader conversation on elder sexuality. 
I'm also planning to bring back Dr. Sprankle to talk about so-called sex addiction or something else. Dr. Jalen Ricks to discuss his work with men's groups or something else. And a roundtable discussion with the men who conduct the Rain City Jacks new member orientation sessions to take you, the listener, through the orientation process yourself. That is unique to RCJ. And we're going to discuss the difference that it makes to new members and the culture of the club overall. All that and more is coming up on future episodes of the Heart of Jacks podcast. Before I go, I want to give a shout out to David K. and William N., my newest patrons through Patreon. Guys, I wish nothing less than to bestow pleasure on your tenderest parts. Their support, added to that of my 46 other amazing patrons, is what makes this show and my book possible. If you would like to add your support to this project, go to patreon.com slash theheartofjacks and see what fits for you. It truly makes a difference. The Heart of Jacks podcast, written and produced by me. Theme music for Fourth Monday is Monday Again, sung by Frankie Lane with Carl Fisher's Orchestra. Podcast distribution by Simplecast at simplecast.com. Until next time, that is the Heart of Jacks podcast. I'm Paul Rosenberg. <laughs>